Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Ruth. We will read verses uh, 15 through 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to grab a Bible from one of the back tables and, uh, and use that this morning. And if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that Bible with you, keep it, write your name in it, and bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Let me pray for us as we, uh, as we come to God's Word. Our Father in heaven, we, we do pray that you would come, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word this morning. We pray that you would give me uh, clarity of, of, of thought and speech. We pray that you would give each of us an ability to, to understand your word, to apply it to our own lives, to our own hearts. Uh, we pray that you would help us to see the love of Jesus more fully this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our scripture reading is from Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What does love feel like? I think the Hollywood view of that is love is like floating in air, right? Love is, is the sound of harps and the flitter of Cupid's wings. Uh, love is kind of this joy inexpressible. Uh, Paul Miller uh, suggests uh, one of the feelings of love is feeling lousy. He says love feels like death because death is at the center of love. This, as we, as we look at it this morning, we'll see this is Ruth's kind of love. Ruth loved her mother-in-law well, even to her own hurt. Now, uh, we could read the story uh, and, and look at Ruth and come to the conclusion that we should love like Ruth loved. And that could be sort of the, you know, the, the summation of what we get out of this story. Look at how Ruth loved her mother-in-law. We should love the same. But, of course, if we do that, and that's all that we do, uh, we really just have moralism. Right? Christianity, though, is not moralism. Uh, it's not just about following certain moral rules. That's not the purpose of, of the book of Ruth, to make us more moral people. That may happen, but that's not the purpose. And so as we come to this passage, I want to ask something we haven't really directly asked yet as we've been studying Ruth, and that is why the book of Ruth? What's the book of Ruth about? Why was it written 
What's interesting, because Ruth is about children, isn't it? Uh, this book is about children. It begins with children being lost, and it ends with a child gained. And not just any child. In the end of the book, we, we find out that the child that is finally born, which we will get there eventually, but the child that is finally born to Ruth is not just any child, but is the ancestor of a king, the ancestor of King David, the Messiah. And so Ruth is really about the, the anticipation, the hope of the coming Messiah. That's what the book of Ruth is about. It's moving us forward in that direction. The book of Ruth was probably written at a time of, of great hopelessness in Israel, a, a time when, when there were maybe no godly kings anymore. David was long dead, and they were wondering, when are we going to have another godly king like David? Will we ever again have a king who will restore us to, to restore Israel to her greatness like it was great in his day? Whenever it was written, the point is Israel was, was in a point of hopelessness, a point of despair. And the hopelessness of Naomi reflects the hopelessness of the nation. And the book was meant to give hope. Uh, God raised up a godly seed even in the days of the judges which was a very ungodly day, God was able to raise up this godly king. He can do so again. And he would do so again later in the life of Israel. Ruth shows us that God can raise up a, a godly king to lead his people regardless of how bad it looks. And the way God does that in the book of Ruth foreshadows the coming Messiah's work. And so the hopelessness of Naomi is met here in our passage this morning with the steadfast love of Ruth, who is willing to, in, in effect, die to take on death to give her mother-in-law life. And the hopelessness of Israel and the hopelessness of the human race is met with the steadfast love of Jesus, who came to take on death to give us life. That's how hopelessness is, is turned into hope when love comes and takes that hopelessness upon itself and, in effect, dies in our place. We can't go from Ruth to, Ruth's love to our obligation to love uh, directly. We can't end there because that is, is just moralism, like I said. But we can go from Ruth's love to her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson's love to the love of Jesus. Then we find grace. And when we find grace, we will be moved and empowered to love in a way that simple moral principles can't do. Ruth is a portrait. She is an amazing portrait. She's a portrait of steadfast, self-denying, sacrificial love. And that points us forward to the embodiment of love in Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to look at Ruth's love this morning, not simply to learn how, how we should love, though we'll learn about that, but to see Jesus love better and to be affected by his love, to be moved out of that uh, to love like Jesus. Uh, before we move on, we should remind ourselves of the story up to this point. Uh, the beginning of Ruth is a story of tragedy. A woman leaves home with husband and sons only to lose her husband and sons to tragic early deaths. She begins to return home. Uh, to, with her two widowed daughters-in-law, only to stop halfway there and to tell them to go back. She realizes that she herself has really nothing to offer these two daughters-in-law, these two young women, and they're, they're better off going back 
uh, better off going to their own people, finding new husbands in their own town. There's a brief exchange on the road uh, with the result that one of the daughters, uh, daughters-in-law returns. One of them goes back. They take Naomi's advice. She takes Naomi's advice and returns back home. But Ruth resolutely refuses, right? Ruth is, is stubborn in her commitment to her mother-in-law. She commits to stay with her mother-in-law no matter what. And this is Ruth's great act of, of sacrificial love, as we'll see. We're going to look at Ruth's love for her mother-in-law in detail. We're going to look at it under four headings. You can see them in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to see Ruth as a portrait of love that is steadfast, that is self-denying, that is sacrificial. Of course, when you take all of that together, all of that adds up, we'll see Ruth as a portrait of love that shows us the Messiah, shows us Jesus. So first, uh, we'll look at Ruth's love as, as a love that is steadfast. Now, I considered thinking about pop culture and going through uh, advertising and movies and things like that to come up with great or really horrible quotes about what love is to show that love in our culture is really seen as just self-indulgence, right? We, we love what brings us pleasure, which is why love in marriage doesn't last. And so marriages don't last, Uh, Because nothing, right, not marriage, not your career, not your favorite Netflix show, right, nothing will bring you pleasure all the time. And so when we love simply what gives us pleasure, our love is fickle, right? When things are going well, you know, we, we love it. We love when things are going well, and we love the people around us. We love the things. We love whatever it is that's giving us joy. When things go poorly and break down, then we we cast them aside. True love is not fickle. Uh, True love uh, is about commitment. And and Ruth's here in in verses 16 and 17 are a declaration of her commitment to Naomi. In in fact, they're described later in the book, in in chapter 3, verse 10, they're described as Ruth's kindness to Naomi. And that word kindness is a word that sometimes is translated steadfast love. It's a love that says, I'm going to commit to you no matter what. That's the kind of love Ruth is displaying to her mother-in-law at this point. So look, look at verses 16 and 17. Her mother-in-law says, go back to your people and to your gods. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth, Ruth commits, right, to love, to steadfast love. This is kind of a, a, a till death do us part kind of speech, isn't it? In fact, it's not even in death will we part kind of speech. Ruth promises to go where Naomi goes, to to live where Naomi lives, and to die where Naomi dies. She promises to take Naomi's people as her people and Naomi's God as her God. This is a a wholehearted commitment to another person. It's a commitment that we rarely see and even more rarely give. And yet it's not a commitment that is foreign to the scriptures, is it? The Bible talks about this kind of love all the time. 
we see steadfast love come up again and again in the scriptures, but normally it's not ascribed to a person, but it's ascribed to our God. Our Father's love is a steadfast love. It's one of his very attributes in scripture, Exodus 34, 6-7, kind of a famous uh, couple verses on who God is. God is speaking to Moses here, and he says, The Lord is a, is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. That's our God, a God of steadfast love. And that's repeated again in Numbers 14, 18. Uh, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it's repeated again in uh, Nehemiah 9 and Psalm 86 and Psalm 103 and Joel chapter 2. Again and again, we hear this refrain that our God is a God of steadfast love. In fact, uh, Psalm 136, you may so, uh, know Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is the most repetitive of the Psalms. And uh, it, I'll, I won't read all of it. I'll just read uh, the first couple verses and you'll get the idea. Psalm 136 begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And for 24 verses, it goes on to emphasize and get into our heads that our God is a God of steadfast love. <coughs> our God is a God that commits to his people. He promises to love us and he will not turn back. And yet not only are we told that our Father is full of steadfast love again and again in Scripture, but we see our Father in Scripture making commitments to His people, don't we? Again, there's this uh, refrain that goes through Scripture where God says things like, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a commitment, right? That's a commitment. God is saying, I'm going to be God to you and you will be my people. In fact, in the, in the words of Jesus, Jesus says, to his disciples before he uh, ascends into heaven. He says, I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. He's committing to be with his people. And I, and I want you to grasp how important this is that, that, that love uh, involves a commitment and that this is the kind of love we see in our Father in heaven. Uh, again, uh, consider Naomi. She's alone. Uh, she's, she's willing for her daughters-in-law just to, to go back. She thinks that their best, what would be best for them would be to go back to their home in Moab. She's willing to send them back. Of course, then she would be totally alone, right? A, a widow, totally alone. And, and what does Naomi really need in that moment? Uh, certainly, humanly speaking, she needs one of the things she needs. She needs a companion. She needs someone who will say to her, no, I'm not going to abandon you. I will be with you, Naomi. Wherever you go, I'm going to stay by your side. I'm going to be with you. This is what Ruth does. And I don't know what that did to Naomi's heart. Uh, I, I know what it, what it should do uh, to our hearts if, if we're thinking clearly. It should give us hope that this other person is committing to be with us, that I'm not alone in this. That's what Ruth is doing for Naomi. And, and yet life is bigger, isn't it? Life is bigger than what the Ruths of this world can do. You know, think, think about your own uh, brokenness. You know, where, where are you alone? Where are you feeling uh, abandoned? Where have your hopes been disappointed? Where have your dreams been shattered? Where has life taken a wrong turn for you? 
What would it mean to you to know that in the midst of that, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the depression, in the midst even of your sin and sadness, what would it mean to know that God is with you? That he is committed to you. That wherever you go, he will be with you through whatever mess, through whatever pain. Your God is committed to be there by your side as your God. That's God's love for his people. Ruth's love for Naomi is a, is a reflection of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a dim window, a portrait of the great steadfast love of our God. That's God's love, a committed love, and I will be with you love. True love is steadfast. True love is also self-denying. You know, again, our world is full of kind of the rhetoric of self-interest. There are lots of places that you see this, that we are to look out for number one, that it's all about you. And, but if we want to see the rhetoric of self-interest, we, we really we don't even have to look out to the world. Uh, if we want to see self-love at work, we can look at Naomi's pleas on the road. There's actually, uh, she is encouraging a kind of self-interest there, isn't she? Three times Naomi encouraged Ruth to look out for her own interests. Verses 8 and 9 is kind of the soft pitch, so to speak. Verses 8 and 9, she says to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And, and all, Ruth, all Naomi is saying there is, look, here's what you really need, ladies. You need, you need to go home. You need to be safe there. You need a husband who will provide for you and protect you. Stop following me and, and seek what's going to be best for you. You need to look out for yourselves here. And, and in some ways, what Naomi is saying is, is reasonable. Right? She's saying, this is what's going to be best for you, not staying with an old widow. What's going to be best for you is going to your house and finding a new husband. Verse 10, the, 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 the ladies say, no, we're going to go with you. And so Naomi takes it up a notch in verses 11 to 13. And her logic there is, what you need comes from people and I can't give it to you. So you need to look out for yourselves and go elsewhere. Look to humans to solve your problems. Look to human saviors. Go home, go to your family, go find a husband. That's what you need. Orpah is convinced, so she returns, but Ruth remains. And Naomi resorts at this point just to peer pressure in verse 15, right? She, she says, uh, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Just go. Everybody else is looking out for themselves, right? She's looking out for herself. It makes perfect sense. It's very logical. Um, this is what you need to do as well. And, and I don't want to blame Orpah here. It's, it, it's true. I think she bought into wrong thinking. Uh, but, but going back really was humanly speaking, her best chance for a new life. It really was for Orpah. Her decision is reasonable. And the reason I emphasize that is because it makes Ruth's decision all the more amazing. Right? Ruth's decision is all the more amazing. Ruth says no to, to all of that. She says no to the world's promise of blessing in Moab. Right? She says, no, I'm not going to chase after that. She says, no to the world's reliance on human ability and human saviors. She says, no to her, her family back at home, to the potential husband that she would find there. She says, I'm not going to rely on that. I'm not going to go there. She says, no to peer pressure, right? And just the logic of groupthink. But in saying no to all of those things, she's really taking the, the first step in loving Naomi. 
No, I'm not going to look out for myself here. That's the first step. True love always begins with self-denial. Mothers know this, right? Mothers know this because mothers give up more than anyone in the world. Out of love for their children, for the good of their children, they, 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 they give their lives sacrificially uh, for the good, for the growth of their sons and their daughters, right? You see it all the time. It's a perfect picture of sacrificial love, of, of giving something up for the good of another person. And it's always, you know, the opposite. It's always the logic of self-interest and self-indulgence. If it's all about me, that's what's going to stop me from loving you, right? If I'm wrapped up in me, if I'm looking out for my own interests, if I'm consumed by my own interests, how can I look out for your interests or the interests of others, which are so often in conflict with one another? If I'm consumed with self-love when your interests and mine conflict, which one's going to win, right? If I'm looking out for me, my, my interests are going to win and you're going to lose every time. True love says no to self. Right? The world's rhetoric uh, of self-indulgence, true love says no to this. I'm not going to give in to this. True love is always giving up something. We see this in the gospel again, don't we? Uh, the, the, the great verses in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, the great verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that says, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And Ruth gave up the possibility of a family who might take her back and the possibility of a husband in her own land to go with Naomi. Jesus left not mere possibilities. Right? He left the Father in heaven and the glories of heaven and the riches of heaven in order to be humbled. Jesus had to be willing to lay aside honor to cloak his, his visible glory for a time. When he came into the world, he wasn't honored. People didn't fall at his feet. That's what he deserved. That's not what happened. He wasn't honored. He was despised and rejected. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. True love is always self-denying. Or it's not love. True love is always steadfast and it's always self-denying. And, I, and I'm going to, the, the next is, it's like a half a step further. True love is always self sacrificial. There's actually a difference between self-denial and self-sacrifice. It's just a little difference, but there is a difference. And it's an it's important difference, and, and I can explain it like, like this. Someone might be an, an ascetic. They might deny themselves, right, deny their needs for all kinds of reasons, right? You, you might practice radical self denial for reasons other than love. You might deny yourself food because you, you want a certain kind of body, or you might deny yourself comforts because you're, you, you think you don't deserve them and you're somehow punishing yourself or something like that. Those are various kinds of self-denial, but they're not self-sacrifice in this sense, right? Uh, the Bible doesn't encourage mere self-denial, but self-sacrifice. The, the two can be, again, very different. Sacrifice is giving of myself for someone else. Self-denial may have many reasons, but you sacrifice for something, for someone. Self-denial is, is giving up something, saying no to self, but self-sacrifice is doing that for the good of someone else. And this is what Ruth does, right? She, we, we've already looked at She denies she says no to these things, but she does it for a reason. By refusing to return to her family and the hope of a husband in her homeland, she's giving up the possibility of returning to, to real life in exchange. What does she get in exchange? In exchange for the, for the hopeless outlook of Naomi. 
That's what she takes on herself. This is why she does it, to be with Naomi. Naomi's hopeless, but, but Ruth is willing to take that hopelessness upon herself, to enter into that hopeless situation. So Naomi will, will not be alone and will not be abandoned. Again, Paul Miller, uh, writing on, on, at this point, says, In order to give Naomi comfort, companionship, and food, Ruth gives up friends and family and the possibility of a husband and children. In fact, her entire life, he goes on, Ruth embraces hopelessness in order to give Naomi a measure of hope. Death is at the center of Ruth's love. See, Ruth commits herself to Naomi. She denies herself the hope of a future in order to give Naomi a future and a hope. Again, it's, it's, it's the gospel, isn't it? Jesus commits himself to his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. He comes into the world, leaving the glories of heaven. The, the very incarnation itself is the first of many acts of self-denial, of humiliation. And then he sacrifices himself for us. He goes to the cross. He dies for our sin. He takes upon himself our judgment, our pain, our suffering, our condemnation, our death to give us life and hope. This is the pattern of love, right? You commit to someone, you say no to your desire for their sake, for their good. True love is, is, is not fickle, but it's committed, it's steadfast. True love says no to, to self-interest, it's self-denying, and true love seeks the good of another. It's sacrificial. And all of that adds up uh, to say that, that true love, Ruth's kind of love, shows us the Messiah, Ruth's love shows us the Messiah. That's really what we've been saying the whole time, isn't it? We've been seeing that, that this amazing love of our Savior in the, the amazing love of Ruth. But if Ruth's love shows us the Messiah, your love shows the Messiah as well. And that's really what I, the point I want to make at this uh, point is, is we, we've seen that Ruth's love shows us the Messiah. We've seen that again and again. But, but our love does the same thing. Our love as the church, as we're indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, our love is meant to demonstrate the reality of, the, of divine love. When, when you love sacrificially, uh, Jesus is not just heard, but he is seen in the way that we live. We being the body of Christ, we being his people, his representatives on earth, as we love in this way, people see his love in a tangible form. That doesn't mean we, we can not tell them about it. We need to tell them. They need to hear. They need to understand. Right? How can they believe unless they hear? But we show them. We make our message credible as we love people in this way. Again, Paul Miller, who, who I'm quoting again and again, but he's so great on this particular point in his book on Ruth. He says, God does steadfast love to Naomi through Ruth. God shows his steadfast love to Naomi through Ruth. Ruth is God's answer to Naomi's lament. Within seconds of Naomi's charge that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, Ruth's hands are clinging to Naomi in a fierce grip of love. Ruth is the face of God to Naomi. Our faces, how we reflect Christ in our gentleness, in our boldness, in our love, our faces are God's best picture of himself on earth. Ruth embodies the gospel. All acts of love done in faith are small pictures of the gospel. Our dying love replicates the dying love of Jesus, says Miller. You know Jesus' love for you. Do you know Jesus' love for you? Do you know the greatness of that love, the extent of that love, the depth of his love, 
that he commits to his people, that he then denies himself, comes into the world, bears our sin, goes to the cross for us that we might have life. If you know that love, who is God calling you to, to, to love like that? Who is God calling you to show that kind of love? You know, what difficult people are there in your life? You know, we all have those people in our lives that are difficult to be around, right? Uh, maybe it's a little frustrating or sometimes they're annoying. I mean, you, you know, you, you fill in the blank. Who, who are those people, difficult people in your life that just being around them kills you, right? How can you show them love? Maybe you want to get away from them as fast as you can, right? But how can you show them love? Self-denying, right? Self-sacrificial love like Jesus. Uh, who is needy and empty around you, and, and you have the opportunity to take their emptiness upon yourself, giving up your time, giving up your money, giving up opportunities for their sake. How can you deny yourself for the sake of love the way your Savior did for you? His life is our pattern. And Naomi says to Ruth, in effect, you must save your life in order to save it. That's what you need to do. You, you, you go save your life. That's how you're going to keep it. Jesus, of course, said if we save our lives, we will lose them. And then he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him in steadfast, self-denying, sacrificial love. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we, uh, we do praise you. We praise you for your great love. Help us to see that love in all of its fullness. Help us to get a more and more vivid picture of the beauty of your love for your people, that that love would grip us, that the very fact that you've committed to your people would grip us, that, that our God committed to us. It's, it seems absurd. It seems silly that God would commit himself to people, and that's what you've done in your promises. That's what you've done in saying, I will be your God. That's what you've done in saying, I will be with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for committing to your people. And then, and then doing all that that meant in coming into the world and dying for us. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for what you have done. Work that more and more into our hearts that your love would, would fill our hearts and overflow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.